You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is On Principle Challenges in Jewish Education. Uh, we have with us Rabbi Dr. Michael Broyd. Uh, Rabbi Broyd, it's the day before Thanksgiving. And um, one way I think that you have influenced Jewish education as far as Thanksgiving goes is by authoring an article that I think was first printed in the Journal for Contemporary Halacha and has been, uh, it was, you've allowed it to be on various, various websites. And for how many years ago was that article written, Rabbi? More than 25 years ago. Right. And I think, I think you said to me that this is the article, <laughs> considering your incredible scholarly uh, input, that this is output, this has been the article that has been downloaded and been circulated more often than anything else that you've written. At some level, it's timeless because Thanksgiving comes every year. It's good to write on topics that come back. And, and, and I know that for many teachers and students, they have gone to this fount of, this, of, of dealing with Thanksgiving and halacha uh, and going back to the history of Thanksgiving as a holiday celebrated in the United States and the attitude of the halachists in dealing with this. So this was uh, something that, as you say, it's still quite a good article. It, 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 it has withstood the test of time. But you have uh, you are now going to speak with us in a way of revisiting and expanding, especially for uh, this year. So, Rabbi Broyd, it's again as uh, it's, it's a great COVID. If please, it's go my ahead. pleasure to be here. Um, every year around this time, people start asking me what my thoughts are on Thanksgiving. Popular newspapers call. Um, and essentially, I want to review my article and then try to apply it to contemporary times and maybe discuss other aspects of changing life in America. As I noted in the article from more than 25 years ago, there seems to be a fundamental dispute among the giants in America of the previous generation about celebrating Thanksgiving. Three views are present among the giants of the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, and these three views are mimicked by the giants who come after them. The first view is the view of Rabbi Huttner. Rabbi Huttner in the Pachad Yitzchak and among his students as well, is very hostile to the celebration of Thanksgiving, more or less, Rabbi Huttner adopts the following view. Holidays that are celebrated by the Christian calendar are almost definitionally prohibited for Jews to observe. It is a Christian calendar, and thus there is almost definitionally, Rabbi Huttner says, a problem of Chukah Sagayim, in celebrating any holidays that are observed on a calendar basis where they follow the non-Jewish calendar. A modified version of this, advanced by Rabbi Menashe Klein, assigns to the pilgrims Christian religious observance 
and seeks to label Thanksgiving a Christian holiday. The approach of Rabbi Klein seems much more counterfactual since in fact, the observance of Thanksgiving really starts from the Civil War and an attempt to craft national unity rather than directly from the pilgrims in any real and significant way. Having said that, the basic claim of Rabbi Utner, which is this is a holiday driven by the secular calendar is undoubtedly true. Thanksgiving doesn't fall out on any particular day in Kislev. It falls out on the second to last Thursday in November. And it is observed consistent with and part of the Christian calendar. The exact opposite view is the view taken by Rabbi Rabbi Soloveitchik. Rabbi Soloveitchik celebrated Thanksgiving, and not only did he think it was permissible to celebrate Thanksgiving, he celebrated it, and he shared with his students the worthwhileness of of the celebration, and he modified his schedule to be in Boston for Thanksgiving. Rabbi Salvechik gave Talmud class sheer, <coughs> excuse me, at Yeshiva University. Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, and he flew in and flew out. And he modified the Thursday schedule on the Thursday of Thanksgiving to give class earlier in the morning than he normally would, so that he could return to his home in Boston and celebrate Thanksgiving. Turkey, the fixings, and everything. He had a formal Thanksgiving meal. Lurking somewhere in the middle of this is Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, who no no less than five times discussed Thanksgiving in his chuvot. In his first chuva in the 1950s, He seems to say it could be a chukos agayim problem and bale nefesh should be strict. By his final two vote, he seems to connect it to the dispute between the gratosis and the marik about what is the nature of chukos agayim. And he comfortably endorses celebrating Thanksgiving among those who follow the view of the Ramah and the Ma'arik, that celebrations um, that have a meaning and purpose can be followed. And only according to the followers of the Grah, who think celebrations need to have a Jewish origin, does it pose a problem. But Rabbi Feinstein doesn't endorse the celebration of Thanksgiving. And he doesn't advocate it. He merely posits that it's permissible to observe. And it turns out that in Rabbi Feinstein's family, nobody actually, he didn't think it was an Avera, um, but he simultaneously didn't robustly endorse the celebration of Thanksgiving. He certainly thought Turkey was kosher. And 
in Rabbi Feinstein's ever practical way, he thus doesn't think it's a violation of halacha for people to sit and have a turkey meal. Um, of course, he thinks that the recitation of Thanksgiving prayers and these other activities is problematic, and he counsels um, against invoking it in any religious way. But Rabbi Feinstein's bottom line is, is that Thanksgiving is a secular holiday. Observing it is not a violation of halacha. And whether or not this is a good idea, Rabbi Feinstein refuses to directly answer. Rabbi Soloveitchik clearly thought that celebrating Thanksgiving was a good idea. He both shared it with his students and did so with his family. And this idea is sort of important. It's worth asking why Rabbi Soloveitchik thought that the celebration of Thanksgiving was an affirmatively good idea, what we can learn from that and how we can apply it. I suspect that Rabbi Belsky has hit upon the key. When Rabbi Belsky discusses the celebration of Thanksgiving, Rabbi Belsky, the leading posseg for the OU and the Rosh Hashiva Torah Vadas, makes a very important observation. Rabbi Belsky says, it's important to distinguish between times and places where celebrating Thanksgiving is a sign of patriotism and maybe perhaps where the patriotism of the Jewish community is being doubted. In times and places, Rabbi Belsky says, where the celebration of Thanksgiving is a patriotic endeavor, the celebration of Thanksgiving serves a an important idea to the Jewish community. We recognize, and now this is Michael Broyd speaking rather than Rabbi Belsky speaking, that the American Jewish experience has been exceptionally positive and that we're blessed to live in a wonderful government that has on the whole and through been very accommodating to us. Our historical experiences in Eastern Europe provided no model for being good Americans. If the Jews celebrated events in Tsarist Russia or fascistic Hungary, it was under duress rather than out of a genuine sense that this was a wonderful, loving, and good government. Not so in America. In America, for the first time in a very long time, we have felt like we are citizens of a good government and a government that treats us fairly and equally. This is manifest in Rabbi Feinstein's deep commitment to obedience to the law of the land. And it plays a very important role in a variety of his two vote. And Rabbi Belsky's point is it plays a role in our attitude. We want to be good citizens and we want to be perceived as good citizens. We want to be understood as carrying our fair share and being part of the good community in the United States. Rabbi Belsky, when he said this, in my view, is trying to explain the practice of people, Gedolim, like Rabbi Soloveitchik, who not just noted that Turkey was kosher and thus celebrating Thanksgiving was permissible, 
but trying as well to connect Rabbi Salvation to a milieu, the milieu in which Jews are integrating into America and seeking to demonstrate our patriotism and commitment. We were not the same Jews who lived in, under the czar, and the czar is not the same government as the government of the United States. The United States is a malchut shel chesed, is a government of righteousness. And we want to demonstrate our righteousness by being good citizens. Based on this, by the way, Rabbi Belsky, who died only a few short years ago, notes that he thinks it's less necessary to celebrate Thanksgiving than it used to be. Thanksgiving, he observes, has lost its deep connection to patriotism. And maybe patriotic holidays are, in general, um, less an issue than they were before. I found Rabbi Belsky's analysis to be persuasive on a few levels. But I'm not sure it's still the right recitation of the halacha, Thanksgiving 2021. I think that no matter what milieu you're in, celebrating Thanksgiving is permissible. Turkey is kosher. Celebrating secular holidays doesn't ever violate halach. But the question of whether it's a wise idea or not undoubtedly is driven by its cultural norms. Rabbi Belsky's observation that the cultural norms connected to Thanksgiving have evolved from a party of patriotism to just a party strikes me as more reflective of a time that's 15 or 20 years past and of the present. To me, living in an era of increased anti-Semitism and living in an era where Jews are perhaps less welcome to the public square than we were in other times and other places, it's worthwhile positing that we should redouble our efforts to appear to be good citizens, um, to be meticulous obeyers of the law of the land, and to be celebrators of those aspects of America that generate patriotism, both kape chutz and kape penim, both inward and outward. We need to demonstrate to the world around us that we are good citizens, and we need to demonstrate to our own children and our own community the importance of being good citizens. Indeed, in the last few years, I've taken to more comfortably and overtly celebrating July 4th. Um, to more comfortably and directly noting Memorial Day. Um, these are important ideas. As we live in a time where there's a greater contest, not for the Jewish soul, but for the soul of America, participating in that contest in a way that demonstrates both we have a vision for the American soul and we care about the future of the United States is very important. How to do that, of course, is something that can be left to different people in different times and different places. But the idea that I think Rabbi Soloveitchik leaned to in the 50s and 60s, and which Michael Broyd leans to in the 2020s, is, is that 
there is a contest running in America. And the place of Jews in that contest is extremely important to us and to our community and to America. America has been a city on the hill in terms of religious freedom. And Thanksgiving, which could have turned into a Christian holiday celebrating the Christian roots in the United States, is instead celebrated far and wide in an ecumenical way by Muslims, Buddhists, Jews, and Christians, all of whom recognize that Thanksgiving is not a celebration of Christianity, but to some extent ought to be a celebration of the religious freedom that made America great. The emphasis I see in my grandchildren, which is that the Indians came to the celebration and we formed a united community, is an important model. The Indians who were pagan were welcomed into the pilgrims who were Christian. Maybe that's not so historically true, but I'm not interested in celebrating the history. I'm interested in celebrating the present in an attempt to stake out the future. The United States is a home of vast religious freedom. This vast religious freedom ought to be marked during Thanksgiving. When we welcome all to provide Thanksgiving for that which makes America great. One of the things that makes America great is this deep commitment to religious pluralism and toleration of the other. It's what separates us from Europe. It's what separates us from many different nations through and through. We're one of the few nations that both does not have an official religion and has robust free exercise. England has robust free exercise, but is ultimately a Christian faith. France is very robustly secular, but they restrict your free exercise in the name of mandatory secularism. Not so the United States. We both have disestablishment and free exercise. And Thanksgiving has become a way to mark that. So Rabbi Belsky's observation of the 1990s might have been true. And Rabbi Soloveitchik's observation of the 1950s might also have been true. And Michael Broyd's observation of the 2021s, I think, is distinctly true. Americans need to redouble their commitment to religious pluralism and redouble their commitment to national patriotism. And Jews need to be at the forefront of that movement. We should not be seen as laggards or particularists, but people who care deeply about the whole. If celebrating Thanksgiving reminds people out there that we feel this way, and it reminds our own children that we feel this way as well, and that particularism rarely serves the commonwealth, that's a very important message. So I think Rabbi Soloveitchik's celebration of Thanksgiving in the 1950s, which resonated less well with me in the 1990s, even as I thought it was mutter and not usser, 
but maybe less positive in the freewheeling 1990s, resonates with me in the year 2021 as very true. Religious freedom needs to be reinforced in the third decade of the 21st century and celebrating it through Thanksgiving, the holiday in which mythically and somewhat magically, the pagan Indians and the Christian pilgrims got together to eat is a suitable holiday for Orthodox Jews in this great United States of America. I wish you all a wonderful Thanksgiving. I will celebrate Thanksgiving in the year 2021. I didn't always celebrate it in the previous decade. Some years, like Rabbi Yehuda Herzl Lincoln noted, I skipped so as to make sure everybody knew it wasn't a holiday. But now I'm going to celebrate to remind everybody that we live in a land of religious freedom for all. And I benefit from that. I celebrate that. I want to reinforce those values to my community around me, both my inside Jewish community and my outside non-Jewish community. Happy Thanksgiving to all. Rabbi Broid, once again, you do a, uh, an amazing job of putting things in a concise and yet that doesn't skimp on the scholarly aspects. And I think that's really been the hallmark of a lot of your writing. Thank you. Um, what I would say, though, is that I think the elevation of the different approaches the way that the original article sets it out represents a certain style that I have to tell you nothing to do with the topic you dealt with, but in general, I'm not sure if it has the provenance. It really deserves the provenance that you and others have given it. Let me explain what I mean. Anecdotal information about what a certain Rav did or something that a Rav wrote in a letter that was printed posthumously and not printed necessarily as a halachic opinion from where I'm sitting is definitely interesting. And it's something I'd love to talk to with the students of Rav Hutner or the Rav. Really, it's, it isn't approach A and B, and here's Rav Moshe in the middle. Rav Moshe was writing, printing it in Psaq. A letter or what Rav Shechter writes from Nefesh Arav, or what other Talmidim know, isn't an articulated position. Rabelsky, if he in, in, in Shulchan Alevi, uh, and again, uh, I think there are going to be more volumes coming out. I hope there are. From where I'm sitting, I think it's a wonderfully, like yourself, he had a talent for writing Chuvis in a way that gave a, a reader a sense of the idea without overburdening him. That's a Chuvis thing. Igris Meish is a Chuvah Sefer. The Igris of Rav Hutner are not. And what Rav Shechter reports, even if it can be every single student in YU knowing it to be true, you need to now imply what the Rav's position was when it wasn't necessarily actually articulated. So I think what you end up doing is really putting, imposing a little bit of Michael Broid onto it. I'm not saying you're wrong, but Besides the imposition, I don't think from a scholarly perspective, we should necessarily see this as 
here's here are the three common. It's it, it's it's definitely gishmak to talk about, but I, I, but since the acharias of that you have uh, as a disseminator, I think you 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 have to really indicate is different. Now let me just say before you respond, Rav Menashe Klein was one of the most prolific, voluminous writers of Chuvas. That doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to elevate Rav Menashe Klein as Rav Moshe versus Rav Menashe Klein. You know, there's, there's a famous story, which I, you might have heard. As you know, Rav Moshe and, uh, was, uh, was Matir, uh, the Erev, right? Rav Moshe was Matir, uh, the Erev, in, um, and Rav Menashe Klein was a fierce antagonist uh, against the Erev. I believe it was which Arab was that? I think it was the was it the, was it the Arab in in, in 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 Brooklyn, right? It was the Brooklyn. It was the Brooklyn Arab. So I remember of Menashe Klein was being misowned. He says, "What's the difference between me and Rav Moshe? Rav Moshe's svarim are in every bismedrish. So are mine. So some lips said back to Rav Menashe Klein, there's a difference, Rebbe." People buy Rav Moshe's farm, and you send yours farm to every base membership. That doesn't necessarily be there the same. So I would agree with you. Menashe Klein is definitely, in a way, um, and, and where we, we are, the Torah world is enriched by having Rav Menashe's chubas on so many issues, many of them dealing with American culture. Rav Turk, as you know, wrote to Rav, to Rav Menashe Klein often. Rav Turk from Kingsburg in, in the Bronx, the author of the Pre-Malka, and others for him. Rav Menashe Klein was, would, would write to everyone about things that were going on in America. I, I agree with you that I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's Rav Moshe versus Rav Menashe Klein. Menashe Klein does not have that type of status, although he's very interesting and he deals with things, but he is writing a Chuba Sefer, as Ravelsky is. Whereas the other two approaches that you mentioned are really based on, um, uh, as I say, letters. And I, I don't think the history of halacha has is on your side as far as this goes. So let me respond to the broad systemic challenge, which is you're correct. Um, neither Rav Huttner's writings in Pachat Yitzchak nor the Rav's musings um, carry the weight of Igrat Moshe. Nonetheless, um, the Rav here is predicated on the correctness of Rav Moshe's view. And the Rav merely is saying as follows, Rav Moshe says it's mutter and I think it's a good idea. This is an important observation. Public okay. policy, the Rav doesn't say anything. The Rav just makes it well known that that's he, right. He's adjusting his schedule and that and, and he's going home to have Thanksgiving dinner and he's not hiding that. But he's not he's not issuing any sort of statement about Thanksgiving. Of course, because I think that matters of public policy like this are not well addressed in the Chuva literature. And I think that Rabbi Soloveitchik is comfortable with the idea that what he's doing has a timeliness to it. And it is unworthy of inclusion in the Rav's timeless works. The Rav wrote timeless works. But again, Rabbi Boyd, again, you'll be mostly me. His timeless works that he wrote, and the essays, for example, that he wrote in tradition. Shiurim was Avi Mori. which again, of course, were, were written, of course, with Rav Lichtenstein together. Those are not, 
and I was getting to that, those aren't halachic svarim. Those are the tamtsis of his brilliant drush-like lumdus of the shiurim that he was giving for the Yurtzeit shiurim. What Rav, Ray- what Rav Reichman uh, has collected shiurim are also very much, again, almost the literal uh, verbatim things that he was saying in the shiur. But he was not, although to, to people in Boston, as you know, he would paskin because he took sure. his job seriously. He was not a, a writer of halachic material. He was, oh, halachic material meaning psak material. He was no, not. No, I don't. You're, this is too narrow a construct. Shelodu Chuvot are one vehicle of writing psak. Lamdus is another vehicle of writing psak. Public recitation of a maisa is another vehicle of writing temporary psak. Uh, this is an important idea. The Rav knew he was a public persona. And the Rav said and did things that he wanted you to imitate in a public way. Um, the, the Rav um, understood fully well how to communicate and understood fully well the different vehicles he had um, available to him. The, the shurim was Eicher Avi Mori sometimes do discuss technical halacha. And the Rav didn't hesitate to voice his view on, uh, on issues. On the other hand, I think that the Rav also had a natural realization that on matters like celebrating Thanksgiving, there's no point to writing a tshuva. Exactly because it's obviously mutter. Yeah. While it's obviously mutter, the Rav felt sharing with people that it was a good idea has an aspect of temporariness to it. And thus the Rav didn't write a tshuva saying all the things I said, exactly because the Rav understood that matters of public policy change and evolve. And they can't okay. be determined by a kitsos or an asivas or a rambam or a tshuva. Granted, but the Rav was not reticent to speak about issues that he thought needed to be spoken about. For example, whether it was you know, economical uh, connections to other religions. He was very vocal about what he thought about connections with the New York Board of Rabbis. He was also very strong about what he saw as the Christianization of synagogues in the United States. These he he wasn't he didn't need to have people observe him and then imply when he wanted to make a statement that he felt was important for the public in a certain uh, period that needed to be said he used the the Mizrahi convention to say it he wrote something in in, in, in a journal he but did sure. not he did no, not did, right no doubt at all celebrating Thanksgiving was not in the top ten most important things to Rabbi Soloveitchik. The extent you're, you're arguing to me as follows, um, this issue was not central to the Rav. I think that you're completely correct. I think the Rav thought that the struggle to remain in good graces with the American government was much more than Thanksgiving and not much less than Thanksgiving. It was much more than Thanksgiving. And yes, this was not important. I, I'm happy to say that. I have always wondered why the article of mine is so fascinating to many. And I think that the answer is, is that with the passage of time, the celebration of Thanksgiving undertook a greater symbolic importance 
about how American do we really want to be? What does it really mean to be an Orthodox Jew and an American than the Rav in his time and his place appreciated? I don't disagree with you. I, I would uh, say, I, I would make another observation here. And uh, of course, uh, I think what, is, what happened, especially in the American Jewry, is that they had the advantage of the day off. They had the advantage of uh, the, the day being a, uh, a national holiday. And what occurred, as you know, was the Aguda Convention, which is probably right. getting ready now. Th- there was an idea, let's, 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 as we say in Hebrew, let's be menatzeil this free time to do some Torah, extra Torah learning. Let's bring in Michael Broyd or Avram Kivilevich as scholars and residents in various places. But what was also done simultaneously was ignoring what, the, what was being pushed, which was the Thanksgiving holiday. And what I think was detrimental, and I think you're, you and I agree with, is that the idea is, oh, well, the Goyim are having Thanksgiving now. We, of course, don't need it because we're moted Hashem every day. But, you know, we can use this time to, to have a Yom Eon, as opposed to saying, okay, maybe Yomi in the morning, but let's encourage our congregants to join the celebration. Let's, and, and I think what occurred then is, yes, it's oh, Thanksgiving. Oh yeah, we're happy we have that day off. The English teachers aren't showing up. And we end up losing a chance to instill patriotism and not just patriotism that you want to go and sign up and become a soldier, but the patriotism that, that keeps you a honest citizen of the country. The idea that we know, the Makas Hamadina that has occurred, whether it's I don't, listening to COVID mandates or not, or nursing home scandals in previous years, or various welfare scandals, comes from the attitude, oh, come over from Europe, that look, we can take advantage. The idea that we are part of something great and to take advantage of a, a tax loophole or trying to not do your fair share for the country is a terrible avla. That I agree with that. That is exactly what I think is running in the 40s and 50s. There's a desire to make Americans good citizens. The transition from Europe to America was traumatic on many levels, but an education of the fact that people needed to become good citizens was central. And that's what Rabbi Soloveitchik is modeling. That, by the way, is what Rabbi Moshe Feinstein is role modeling with his repeated true vote about the need to obey the law of the land. No doubt about that. I well. want to push back a little on that as well. And again, you'll be Mochami. Look, Rabbi, we're both, um, again, I, you we know. You don't need to ask for Mochila, just talk. Okay. When I, you know, I want to tell you, you're going to be disappointed in me because we've come to know each other a little bit through this forum, and we knew each other from before. Um, I haven't voted in my life. I've never voted in a national election. And, um, or even, I don't even think I voted in any uh, other elections. My students, when they found out about this, were extremely upset. And they sent me it was not printed in Ingris Moshe, who knows what they're printing now, but there was a letter that was circulating from Rav Moshe about the importance of voting. Right. I'm sure you're very aware of it. Now, in this letter, Rav Moshe speaks, and you can see what is the undercurrent of this letter, and this is actually true in other chuvas dealing with very difficult issues of being machal Shabbos for doctors and things like that. 
Rav Moshe was very, very concerned about the possibility of being targeted again as the enemy alien. And Rav Moshe says, we need to go out and vote. There cannot be this perception that Jews aren't voting and taking part in that. Because Rav Moshe, of course, knew from his own personal history, the truth about voting isn't because America is great and its representatives represent the great ideals of democracy. He says we need, we, we can never be branded the guys on the outside because, as he writes there, it could happen again. And I think, if you'll be Michael me, that's what he says, by the way, in terms of, uh, he argues with the Mishnah Bureau about doctors taking over and being Machal uh, Shabbos when necessary, and how he says how dangerous it is if they do not, right? When he, Mr. Brewer, tries to, in a way, temper doctors working for non-Jews and being Machal Shabbos for them, the Mishnah Moshe is very against any sort of siogim there because he knows what the backlash could be. And I mm-hmm. think Moshe, in the same way, was operating, he has tremendous Akar Satov, and he doesn't want that com- our community to chas v'shalom be targeted as, as, as somehow not uh, re- being makertov and being somehow, once again, anti-Semitism coming down on them. I think that's similar to what you're saying. I think that's what is promoting Rav Moshe's, uh, Rav Moshe's as you say, acceptance and understanding why Thanksgiving is an issue that he's going to write more about. He does not want the Jews to be seen as marginalized. I would ask again, you kept on saying Michael Bird of 2021. The way you're looking at the culture today, the, the way that so many of what was considered national patriotic ideals is being deconstructed, even by people of this administration and many members of Congress, do you still think that it's that crucial? For the for us to show that we are starting to fight the cause, a cause that the culture itself is almost, you know, starting to turn its back and souring on it. As you said, the the myths of Squanto are almost, are considered a, a fantasy. I think it's still worth getting involved. Yes, I don't think of, I think that America is still capable of writing itself, and that we should invest in. The, the world that we live in in positive ways. I'm not yet ready to blow retreat on my bugle um, and uh, live uh, and abandon ship. I think that um, America is still um, a a very positive place and um, the general culture needs to be reinforced and salvaged. And um, although things are not as good as they were a decade ago for jewelry, um, I don't perceive this to be the moment where we should abandon ship, turn out the lights, and move to another nation. Um, it, you know, predicting the future is very hard, very, very hard. Um, and but I hope we're not 1920 in Russia. I hope we're not 1920 in Russia, and uh, I want to try my hardest to make sure um, that we build an America that lasts. I acknowledge things are less good for us than they were a decade ago. Anti-Semitism has returned and Jewish life feels more embattled and we should double down on the public square at this moment, not walk away. So I don't agree with you. And I think that um, it, it hastens the harm 
if we walk away from the public square. Toppling, I think it's evolving, and we need to be involved in its evolution um, for the betterment of the whole, which is also for the betterment of us. Could I imagine I'm wrong and that we're entering into an anti-Semitic century? I certainly could imagine that. I could imagine that. But I would say not so much anti-Semitic as anti-symbolic religious aspects. It's not that Jews are going to be targeted like Rav Moshe might have thought, but rather the idea of there is so much um, boutique religion aspect within your own and, and recognizing that, the idea of some commonality of a melting pot of, of together, that is something which is being deconstructed. That's something which, is, which seems to, whether it's the French model that you're talking about or the Canadian model, there's something that going on. Whereas, whereas- I'm not arguing with you, I'm agreeing with you, but I'm hopeful that we can right the ship and stabilize the moment and go on to a bright future. I think that, that um, it's too early to give up. Granted. It's too early to give up. Okay. Um, and do I acknowledge that the year 2021 is less lovingly Jewish than the year 1990? Yes. Yes. Um, do I think, though, that this is enough of, that we should walk away? No. And by the way, I don't really agree with those who think I was just talking to one of my friends who said they have met the enemy and it is us and that it is coming from a diminishment of Jewish identity independently. I think that we're going through an anti-Semitic moment because of economic change and that bad economics give rise to anti-Semitism. There is some truth to one of the anti-Semitic members of Congress who tweeted, it's all about the Benjamins. We need to work to make sure that the Benjamins stay stable and that America becomes a land, remains a land of economic opportunity for everybody. And that if it's a land of economic opportunity for everybody, I'm hopeful that the demons of anti-Semitism can be put back in the closet rather than come out with even more glory. Well, well, thank you so much, Rabbi. And again, have a good day. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.